Welcome to Sectorhead Spotlight. I'm your host, Robert McGrorty. We're about to review the background and process of a hedge sector Sectorhead, as well as discuss some specific key themes pertinent to today's market conditions. If you'd like to learn more about their research, go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Now, let's dive into this episode. Good afternoon, Hedgeye Nation. Uh, this is Sectorhead Spotlight. You've got Robert McGrorty here, uh, Director of Subscriber Development, and I am uh, have the pleasure of sitting down with Todd Jordan, the Sector Head for Gaming, Lodging, and Leisure, otherwise known as GLL. He is one of the original three, you know, kind of like uh, from a hockey standpoint, the original six, we've got the original yep. three. Yep. I've sat down with all three of them, uh, what well, really, I guess, all, all, well, yeah, all three of them, Penny, McGough, and now you, uh, Todd. So thank you very much for uh, joining us today and, and walking through your process yeah. uh, and everything that goes into the GLL sector. Yeah, thanks for hosting. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so with that, I mean, um, you know, uh, from a format standpoint, for anybody who's uh, listening in for the first time, we, you know, these, these are really to kind of get to know our, our sector heads better. Uh, so kind uh, running through a little bit of it about their background. Uh, certainly for Todd, it goes all the way back to 2008 in terms of when, uh, as I said, kind of one of the original three sector heads to join, in addition to Keith, and then uh, rotating into uh, their their process, uh, some of the data that they use, how they um, manage their coverage list, and then rotating into some uh, key themes for 2023. Uh, so with that, Todd, uh, maybe you can just walk us back to the early days at Hedgeye and um, you know what that looked like, how how you kind of came uh, to to get to know Keith, and, sure. and then and then uh, you know how, how that how that came about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I had uh, known Keith uh, since the early two thousands. Uh, he was actually a client of mine. Okay. He was, he was at a hedge fund, and I was working on the sell side. And uh, even when I went over to the buy side, we stayed in touch and shared stock ideas, ideas, and mm-hmm. you know, went, actually, I remember going to a Vegas trip with him once. Uh, <laughs> For business, of course, <laughs> uh, which was great, and um, and then he, you know, came to me uh, with this idea to start up start up Hedge Eye. Uh, at that time, it was Research Edge, and uh, we both agreed that there was a dearth of, you know, good sell side research out mm-hmm. there. So there was a big opportunity there, and uh, we knew we could do really well with the institutional right away. But the real icing on the cake was bringing our, you know, our research, our you know, Wall Street quality research. Yeah new wall, not old, uh, to, you know, the mass market. Right. Yeah. And, and that has really come to fruition. Sure. It took a while, but, yeah. but, but we're here. So, uh, yeah, so we, uh, I joined in, uh, early 2008, which was a great time because, um, you know, by the time we got our research rolling, you know, mid to late 2008, we were, uh, I was negative on GLL from a bottoms up perspective and Keith was negative yep, from, top, from down. top down. Yep. And it melded perfectly because, you know, you had the, the great financial crisis. I mean, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs course, and stuff like yeah. that. So, but I'm just saying from our, our you know, startup yep. uh, potential and, and, you know, getting our name out there, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was good timing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we ended up being right. And, uh, you know, I still remember the early days of, of giving out my research for free. And it was all negative, and I'm sending it to these big, long-only mutual fund companies. Just pissed people off left and right. Uh, but you know, it was—you uh, had to take that, right? I mean, yeah. you gotta have—you gotta have, you gotta have uh, thick skin in this business. But um, 
you know, worked out pretty well. Here yeah. we are. You know, it's the longest uh, tenure I've ever had in yeah. a job by far. Uh, I can imagine. And when I was speaking with Howard, I, I told you this beforehand, but Howard mentioned that basically, you know, the call, which for anybody who's li- you know listening in and gets the or you know has, has access to the call, uh, you know, the, the back in the day it was just you three or you four with Keith in the room, and it would go, you know, uh, Howard, Todd, uh, Brian McGough. Yeah. And then as analysts kind of came in, Tobin got added, and and so on and so forth, Steiner, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, very anyway, I just I love that Keith kind of keeps it in that very repetitive manner. It very it speaks a lot to kind of who he is in terms of you know going back Regiment. to the regiment, yeah. right? Like the yeah, uh, no, it, it was. I, I remember those days fondly. It was uh, you know we didn't have a sales force at all, right? So we'd sit in the room like four or five of us, and we had these awesome chairs that kind of like reclined, yeah. and we would just talk. You know, it was just so informal, but, you yeah. know, here's what's going on. And then, you know, how do we like, you know, what's going on in restaurants is that, you know, I found out that, wow, there's a correlation between, you know, casual dining, same store sales and what's going on in, in regional casinos, Interesting. you know, which was really cool. And I would have known that if I hadn't have, you know, talked to Howard and then figured that out and right. started doing the math on it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting time. It was, it was tough because we were trying to build a business and yeah. we had to uh, really sell ourselves you know, cause we didn't have a sales force. So right. we were doing, you know, two jobs at least, yeah. which was, which was, uh, was challenging, but it was really, really fun. I mean, yeah. it just, you know, I, when you believe in the idea, right. And then, you know, you're, you're willing to do the work to, to get there because, totally. uh, you know, the, you're, you're so, uh, entrenched in that, that idea of, yeah. uh, you know, democratization of, of wall street, which was, you know, I mean, we, you know, we're in the finance business and, and, we take a lot of heat, right, for you know just caring about money. But there, there was a altruistic idea here too, mm-hmm. and that was to to bring you know high quality research to the mass market. So yeah. it was always something we believed in, and we still do. Absolutely, absolutely, and and yeah, with with, with that, maybe we pivot a little bit to the process where you commented sure. about it, like Howard and and sort of getting those ideas from other sector heads. Yep. Hi, Robert McGordy here, director of subscriber development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Before we go there, though, I think it's it's very telling that many of our sector heads did wear those two hats from a kind of like sales perspective as well as research because not many do, um, right? It, it takes kind of, as you said, you got to be thick skinned because you, you get a lot of get a lot of no's. You know, doors kind of get open just a smidgen, <laughs> and you have to take that opportunity on. Um, anyway, but that yeah. that could be a conversation yep. for another day. But uh, from a process standpoint, uh, General, if you don't mind. We can maybe put up that slide from uh, slide three. It is perfect, and and Todd can maybe walk us through some of uh, kind of uh, you know how you guys handle it versus street. Sure, yeah, Keith Keith's big on the, the triangles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, we have the triangles up here. I mean, and look, you know, we're, we don't we don't get paid unless we differentiate ourselves mm-hmm. from the street, right? So I think we have to have a better process. And, um, you know, our process has evolved over time, and, and I'll give you an example. Like, you know, we've always you know, worked in the macro, you know, which mm-hmm. virtually no analysts on the street do. We've, we've worked that into our process. And just to, as, as an example of that, you know, early on, uh, you know, when I'd never looked at macro factors at all, mm-hmm. uh, right, what drives, you know, what drives uh, my, my individual stocks. And, um, you know, with, with working with Keith, I, I, I really got into it. And I was like, all right, what, what really drives, you know, casino revenues? And what we found was really interesting. This really helped with, with our negative call was that 
uh, we found out of all the macro variables, right? So you take every individual gaming casino market in the country mm -hmm. and you look at the local economics. So unemployment, uh, GDP growth, uh, housing prices, a lot of factors. I had like 20 different factors. And then I ran all these regressions and I found that in 14 out of the 15 markets, housing prices were actually the number one driver really? of casino revenue. Well, it makes sense, but that's... And this was the perfect timing to figure that out because right. this was, you know, 2008. And yep. Housing prices had already started to drop. And so we were really negative, you know, before the stocks had dropped. And, and that was the, the big reason. So, you know, thanks to Keith for, for getting me into that because, yep. you know, that was just a huge part of the call, right? I mean, Absolutely. that was the probably single driver of that call. And we, we continue to work these macro factors into, into our modeling. Um, but, you know, having, having said that, um, you know, in terms of... Um, what we do now, so we've we've evolved to okay. We still do all the macro stuff. We still you know do typical sell side stuff. We still have models on the companies and all that stuff. But we've worked in data mm -hmm. uh, in a big way into into our process. So both the procuring like uh, in house data, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, uh, you know, I had a guy walking the casino floors in Macau every single day reporting on. You know, where is uh, you know where is the minimum bet levels? Uh, you know, how many people are playing on the the, the tables every single day at the same time. What are, what is the um, average bet? All the stuff and worked it into a model that actually is very predictive of mass revenues in, in Macau. So you know that's yeah. one data point. Eric, that you we pull put up in. Uh, slide four. That's got a lot of that content on it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, we track uh, forward room rates in in you know twenty five you know markets, hotel markets, mm -hmm. right? So we're looking at you know where where are ADRs going. Um, We've got an Airbnb database, uh, which we've been doing for seven years, even before they were public. Really? Where we actually track listings growth in every single market in the world. Wow. Right? And we do that because we care about the alternative accommodation business. Expedia has a big alternative yep. accommodation business. Airbnb, obviously, now is, is public. But it also impacts traditional room, rev bar, rev yeah. you know, revenue per available room. Because yep. the more supply you have on the alternative accommodation side, the more Airbnbs, the more uh, verbos. Uh, that has an impact on what people are going to pay at hotels. It's con it's competition, right? Mm -hmm. So it's another example of, of you know some in-house research uh, or, or proprietary data that we yeah. have. But we also take into account a lot of like third-party data mm -hmm. that's publicly available. But we work it into our models with some of our independent uh, data, and and we're looking at you know what has predictive value. We're always looking for correlations. We're looking for um, you know drivers of of the business, whether it's you know hotels, OTAs, uh, cruise line pricing. We have a uh, 35,000 itineraries we track over the next 18 months. We look at where cruise pricing is going wow. uh, by brand. And um, we do it uh, on a weekly basis and we look at moving averages and it gives us inflection points, whether it's, you know, Carnival starting to outperform or, you know, the industry in the Caribbean is getting better right. or, you know, Europe struggling, whatever it is. So yep. all this stuff is part of our, our process. We also, you know, we talk to companies, we try to get a yep. feel, we have contacts. I mean, I've been in this business for forever and, uh, so I've developed a lot of contacts in the business and that, you know, that gives me contacts and context, if you will, uh, which helps in our process as yeah. well. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so from, from that, like, how do you kind of take some of those that proprietary information and then really get it into the, the models or kind of, yeah. you know, cause, cause some of that's like a bit thematic. Yep. So then when you're analyzing the individual companies, what are some of the kind of, I guess, 
metrics or key, key key things that you're paying attention to in terms of okay, like if we're seeing you know uh, Carnival Cruise Lines itineraries like pick up or and, and that kind of thing, you know what's the kind of like lead lag on on that from like showing up in your data versus actually showing up in other than the numbers, yep. and then secondly into say the signal or the actual stock out performance. Yeah, I mean I have a statistical background. I got okay. my MBA from University of Chicago, which oh. is very quant yeah. business school. Uh, and, and we're running regressions all the time, right? So we're trying to look at uh, whether it's the data that we procure independently mm-hmm. or third-party data, we're trying to figure out what drives, what's predictive of, of, okay. of the future uh, across really all our subsectors that, okay. that I mentioned already. Uh, and, and the important thing is, uh, you know, we we, we, everything has to be quantified. So I, I, you know, I have to, I have to like back test everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So I say, I, but my team, team. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the team I here. Really at output and, yeah. And I'll take credit if it works. Right? That's <laughs> my job. Uh, so no, we're, we're looking at, you know, what has predictive value and we back test everything. Right. So we're not going to just say, Oh, you know, Theoretically, this, you know, should mean this, you know, or an uptick in this metric should mean that, you know, future rev par is going to go up. Uh, no, it's got to be actually proven. It. And, mm. you know, the key is to figure out what, you know, what are the variables that are statistically significant? Because you could have, you know, GDP uh, and unemployment in your model, right? But, uh, you know, if you just use one variable and you look at GDP, you know, it's going to be positively correlated, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe unemployment actually matters more. So right. you got to have them both into your, into your, so it's, it's a lot of, a lot of iterations of, sure. of, of modeling, trying to figure out, and it's always changing. You can't just rely on something you did five years ago. Right. You got to, you know, cause everything changes. Like, yeah. you know, Keith's process, like yeah. his, his, his risk ranges are changing, you know, by the minute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very dynamic. Uh, and yep. you know, we're not, we're not running regressions that frequently, <laughs> but, uh, but still it's important to, to keep, you know, figuring out what, what works. Cause you know, things change over time. Yeah. And then from a coverageless standpoint, how does that kind of, you know, if you're running those regressions frequently, uh, how does that influence then your coverage list? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one part of the okay. process. But, uh, you know, usually if I see a correlation with, um, you know, a certain metric like, uh, okay, say, you know, um, Las Vegas locals market, right, mm-hmm. uh, where people live and they, they gamble, uh, let's say I see an uptick in, you know, I saw an uptick in, in housing, right? I know that's such an important driver, you know. Okay, well, who's going to benefit from that? Oh, mm. Red Rock. Sure. You know, RRR, Triple R. Uh, you know, that's something I'll, I'll look at. But, uh, you know, that's just one part of the process. I mean, mm. we're, we're, you know, I like to try to figure out, and this this helps to talk to, I mean, we're in a nice position where we can talk to a lot of different people on the institutional side, sure. right? And, you know, half my clients are long onlys, uh, the other half are hedge funds. And within that hedge fund, maybe half of those are fast money guys. The right. other half are more longer term, you yep. know, kind of thoughtful investors so i get this like you know um, you know mosaic of of, of input yeah. right yeah yep. so and i'm trying to figure out what the street's thinking on things mm-hmm. right because if i can think that you know the uh the las vegas strip is going to do really well but if everybody else thinks that too it's not much of an edge it's not much of an edge yeah. right um so in that example like that's probably true right now but i don't think people are bullish enough right Got so it. so i'm always trying to figure out where what the what the contrarian side is and it's also look for you know you also want to search for disconfirming evidence mm-hmm. too right so it helps to have that feedback because you know if i'm long something or i'm recommending a long i want to know what the short side is mm-hmm. or what's the short call on that you know or vice versa mm-hmm. uh and and that's really important and if i can refute it then i'm in a good spot yeah so along those lines, from a uh, from macro, you know, because we're we've we've recently gone you know bullish on on China and, and China related kind of equities or exposure. 
Uh, I know LVS got recently put on to investing ideas yeah. from 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 Keith, along with a, a, another name uh, of yours, but uh, Melko, yeah. yeah, Melko. And so uh, I didn't want to give the whole sorry, the whole store away, <laughs> yeah, you know, Todd. But that's okay. Uh, but yeah, so you know, how, how does you because know, on the call I hear you talk a lot about kind of your your Macau data. Certainly on Monday mornings, I believe it rolls in. Um, but but how do you again? You've kind of already touched base a little bit on the macro, but. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen or, or that you're picking up? Because um, I've noticed you, you're certainly talking a lot more recently yeah. on the Macau and the and the data that's shifting more positively. Um, so yeah, so how does that kind of influence you know the your long your your long list? You know, LVS yeah. and, and Melco are both on there, but they're on the kind of long bias. Right. So you, is there anything there that kind of you're waiting to sort of really get more? Um, I won't say aggressive, but but a bit more conviction, I guess, or, or kind of moving it up the chain. Or how do you kind of how do you think about that in terms of moving things from kind of a neutral territory to long bias to 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 your your um, uh, your active best idea longs? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, we have um, most of our best ideas are are uh, stocks that we like for the near term and long term, mm. right? Whereas long bias will be, uh, and this isn't all that this isn't all the time, but long yep. bias will be. You know, stocks where maybe we like over the short term, but not the long term, okay. or vice versa, right? And the issue with Macau we have is long term. Like, it's just that um, we don't know what the Chinese government's ultimate um, stance is on Macau. They don't sure. like gambling, yeah. right? And and I don't know if they're going to let Macau get back to what, what it was pre-COVID at this point, right? I think they want to turn it into a tourist uh, tourist only kind of casino market. They'll let anybody in to do anything else. But, sure. and I don't know that for sure. I mean, it's just, it's just reading the tea leaves, right. With yep. some of the management departures and, uh, some of the comments they've made and the, you know, forcing the companies to make yep. more non-gaming investment and stuff like that and giving them a tax break for gambling done by foreigners versus yep. mainland Chinese. But having said that, you know, we turned positive on Macau maybe three or four months ago, just because the sequential momentum is there. And mm-hmm. we think the numbers over the, the near term are going to know, actually uh, outperform uh, what the street's looking for. And we still feel that way. So we're still going to be positive. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for those listening in, again, you know, this is a free webcast, but, you know, when you're combining kind of conversations like this with Todd to the call, this is where you can pick up on key points from, from you know, again, on the call, every sector ed really only gets about five-ish minutes. Um, maybe not McGough, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but in general, you know, I remember, I think it was, was it the MGM? Head at Macau, or was it Win that left? Uh, yeah, the, the, the two Win guys. Two Win guys, yeah, right? Win yeah. Guys. So, yep. so two two really key kind of guys, key, really key guys, right from Macau, which is uh, you know something that I hadn't thought about in a while. But when you mentioned that uh, recently, in terms of management teams uh, leaving uh, or you know uh, saying adios to the Macau market yep. after being there and, and seeing it as a ripe opportunity, I mean, you don't move from Vegas to or wherever they were to to Macau for. For just uh, you know, yeah. for an average opportunity, right? So yeah, um, well, it's, look at it, it's it's fun to, to get back into Macau because yes. you know, for with COVID and everything, it's the market was just you know shut down to almost shut down for you know three years, yep. and they're finally just they just said screw it. Now they're opening up to everything. So uh, you know, it's 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 good to have like a call again, you know, on that subsector, which mm. was huge for us prior to COVID. Yeah. No, awesome. Yeah, I was uh, so before uh, again for anybody who's new. Um, I was a subscriber before joining Hedge Eye uh, and, and wearing the jersey. And uh, LVS was a great winner for me back in uh, 2000, uh, 2001, I guess, uh, 2020. I, I can't remember, but basically, yeah. LVS. We were long LVS for a while, and yeah, uh, it really worked out well. Awesome. So thank you. Um, yeah, before maybe moving into themes, is there anything 
else from like a position monitor standpoint that you want to touch on um, in terms of, I, I, I noticed you use Switzerland as neutral, which I really love, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but um, anything on the short side? No, I mean, talk, look, or, we're, we're, you know, we, we don't like the hotel segment. Yep. Uh, and we, we do like the casino segment, generally okay. speaking. And then the other names are kind of, you know, here and there. Sure. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, in terms of key themes, it'd be like pro pro gaming and, and anti hotels. And it's actually a good hedge, too. I think yeah. I think it's a good trade pair trade, I should say, uh, if you're worried about the economy. Right. Or you're mm-hmm. worried about quad four. Um, using the hotels as a, as a hedge to like a long MGM, I mm-hmm. think makes a ton of sense right now. Awesome. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. So from uh, would, it, would you classify that as kind of like one of a few key themes then yeah. for, for 2023? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the strip, um, I like gaming Overall, I think I think yep. the regional, but it's different. Like the strip, I think we're in a spot where the, the like so Caesars and MGM, MGMs are a big horse. Yep. Uh, I think numbers are going to go a lot higher. Regional gaming. Sorry, I, Todd. Uh, General, can you pull up slide eight by any chance? Sorry, buddy. Thank no, you. no problem. Regional gaming, I think, is is in a situation where I just think the cash flows are just way undervalued. Mm-hmm. I don't see a ton of upside to the numbers right now. Uh, over the near term, at least, I think there's numbers uh, upside to numbers twenty four. But the strip, you got both. I think the cash flows are undervalued, and you've got, um, you know, you've got the potential for numbers uh, going way up. Um, and and sh- I mean, it, I'll just give you one one stat. And, and actually, the best part of Las Vegas is the hotel market, and it's just since it's it's like night and day versus the rest of the the country in terms of uh, what's going on the dynamics. Okay. But just to give you one one stat, so the street's got rev par, which is revenue per available room. It's basically uh, room rate times occupancy. Okay. They've got um, strip rev par up maybe like three to five percent in 2023 versus 2022. If you just take fourth quarter rev par, actual rev par, mm-hmm. seasonally adjusted throughout the year uh, for 2023, rev par will grow 17 percent. Wow. That shows you how low the street is. Now there might be some pushes and pulls. You might say, okay, well, you know, those crazy room rates they had in 2022 are not sustainable. Okay, fine, but then you've got. The convention business coming back for a right. full year. Uh, you've got, you know, the Omicron impact was last year. Mm-hmm. That's gone. Uh, you've got incredible event calendar. Vegas is, is yeah, really F- driven F1, by it. F1, F1 is F1 going to be coming. just yeah. monstrous, yep. you know. Uh, it just, I mean, it's going to impact by a few percentage points annual rev par just from that weekend alone. That's how big that's going to be. Yeah. Um, so the event calendar is fantastic. And, you know, if you just look at the, the hotel market, like we're positive in, across the country on the group and convention business, mm-hmm. right, which benefit all hotels, particularly those in leisure destinations, mm-hmm. right, which are gaining share. Vegas is certainly on there. But our problem in 2019 with Vegas is that we knew the convention demand was there because the room product's better. Mm-hmm. It's Vegas. Um, and rooms are bigger. They're nicer, newer. But they didn't have um, the capacity. They're running at full capacity in terms of the convention and, and group room supply mm-hmm. or, or meeting supply. So uh, fast forward, during COVID, they built all this additional convention facilities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. 
Uh, so now supplies up like 20, 20 to 25 percent. So all that incremental demand is actually playing through right now. And that's without a commensurate increase in room supply. Okay. So that means you have the same amount of rooms pretty much and all this additional convention and, and, and group meeting space, which is going to translate into a lot of room compression, which is room rate compression. Yes, room rates are going up, um, and you know Vegas is is always fills their weekend weekend nights, but during the week it's a little bit of a struggle. So the sure. fact that the convention is coming back and coming back and growing and stealing share is going to be huge for room rate growth in two thousand and occupancy growth for two thousand and twenty three. Awesome. So that's Vegas, and then the hotel. The problem with the hotels is they've got too much business transient exposure. Mm-hmm. Right, business transient would be uh, me flying to San Francisco to go meet with clients. Yeah. Right, versus group and convention travel. Yeah. Or leisure travel. Yeah. Right. Those are the, really the three components. We're positive on leisure travel. We're positive on group or convention. We're very negative on business transient. And all afford indicators are suggesting that not only is business transient not caught up to 2019 levels, it's actually getting worse. Mm-hmm. And if the economy goes south, that's going to be, you know, because you know, look, balance sheets are tight. Are, are tight, and you know, the the income is also under under pressure here, mm-hmm. especially with. Uh, you know, labor inflation and, and uh, cost inflation and things of that nature. So uh, it's very easy for companies to just, you know, pull the plug on business travel. Uh, whereas convention and group is kind of like this pent up demand. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and Zoom, Zoom works, right? I just did a call with a client on Zoom. It's great, yeah. you know? So I don't, I mean, my travel's cut in half, you know? Right. I'm, I'm not going to be traveling as much. Uh, so that's that's bad for the hotel REITs. So the uh, real estate investment trusts that own a lot of these hotels, which we don't like, like Pebblebrook and Park, uh, because they've got a, too much exposure to business transit. That's the top line problem. The, the bottom line problem is these guys benefited from just crazy high resort ADRs in 2022, mm-hmm. which aren't going to repeat. So they just way over earned, right? And their staffing is like 75% of what it was in 2018. Mm-hmm. But when you have all this group and convention business coming back, mm-hmm. these people are going to want the, the bar to be open. They're going to want the restaurants to be open. They're going to want room service. Uh, you know, they're going to want turn down service and all this stuff. So staffing is going to have to go up. So we see a lot of margin compression mm. with the traditional hotel rates. Uh, and that's going to be a big problem, especially since they're way over levered. You know, you're talking about like Pebblebrook at five and a half, six times leverage, right? Mm. Um, you know, that means when things start to go south, uh, you get a, you know, oversized impact on the stock price. Mm. Is there any credit risk there? Like, do they have any like that? They're, like, really they're in pretty good shape. Pretty good I mean, shape. I think you would need like just a, 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 a pretty deep recession. Sure. But but the, what's what I think like if we go into a recession, I mean, the two points you made are like enough to yeah, compress yeah. the stock. But yeah. I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good. It's a good question. I mean, they've done they've done a pretty good job uh, with their debt. They're actually not a Pebbleworks. Not a badly managed company. Mm-hmm. They're just in a bad spot because they went into 2019 with you know too much leverage mm-hmm. or 2020 with too much leverage and and obviously COVID you know her cash flows for you know good 18 months or so. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we won't use my, I'm an anomaly on the Mar- on, on the Marriott travel. Uh, but on that note, anecdotally, the r- restaurant at the Marriott here in Stanford, which is where I typically stay uh, when I come to the office, uh, you're I, like, there's one bartender, there's one server, yep. you know, uh, my room, you know, I have to request to get like, you know, uh, it's the room cleaned, yep. um, which again, typically, which is like you know, a pain. Is, in the, I mean, you think it's, it's not a, that big of a deal, but man, there's nothing like after a bunch of, like after a bunch of meetings. I've got San Francisco meet with with clients or Boston, especially because yeah. oh, it's yeah. like packing seven or eight meetings a day. And I go to my like, I get back to the hotel. I either want to go to the bar for a drink, Correct. 
Or I want to just go to my room and just veg and have room service. And yeah. when you walk in and your room's still messy yeah, from exactly. the day before, it's because <laughs> you forgot to call. Yeah, exactly. It's later, so right? annoying. It's so annoying. And, and here's, a, here's, a, here's how I think some things are going to play through here, right? So with people traveling less, I mean, you, you accumulate your points on these loyalty programs, mm-hmm. um, mostly by business travel, right? So with me traveling half as much as I used to, and other people I'm sure are in the same boat, mm-hmm. like my... Uh, my need to stay within my hotel system, your Marriott system yeah. or whatever, is, is less because I just, I'm never going to get that high status mm-hmm. again, right? So I'm more apt to go for choice. So instead of having to stay at, you know, uh, you know, an intercontinental property, you know, um, I might want to stay at a property that's a little closer or that has its amenities already, that has the bar open, that has the hotel or the, the restaurant open. And in that case, uh, I'm more uh, willing to, to move outside my system, right? Sure. Which, by the way, actually helps the OTAs, Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I think there's just it's a, that brand loyalty was such a big tailwind for the brand companies like Marriott and Hilton mm-hmm. and Hyatt, um, you know, against the OTAs. And now with people wanting choice more, and now the loyalty programs for the OTA is actually it's, building up. Right. I think there's more. Expedia's um, got a good one. Yeah, yeah, more more potential for people to use the OTAs more often, which also means lower margins for the hotel REITs, the hotel mm-hmm. owners, mm-hmm. because they have to pay that take rate to the OTA when a booking is done through the OTA. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, that's a pretty good theme for 2023. Anything else on your mind? Uh, I mean, I know I, we already talked about China, but from a uh on the short side yeah we kind of covered both so todd yeah you're the man thanks bud thanks bud. appreciate it uh thank you for everybody at home for tuning in uh if you're interested on on learning more about the gll sector with todd jordan and his team you can go visit hedge eye products and and go go uh subscribe to the sector pro product there it's called gll pro and uh with that i think we're going to wrap it up for anybody interested we've got hedge eye live coming uh may 4th to the 6th here in stanford uh again with that ticket you get to sit down with uh, a bunch of different sector heads but in particular on saturday morning you have uh two or three sessions with uh, various sector heads of your choice where you can get to ask conversations have uh one-on-ones and, and discussions like this like i just had with todd and um for all those other uh, wonderful sector heads which uh you know you can go review our uh, youtube playlist and, and go uh, check that out so uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. And this information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.